my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Today's episode is brought to you by Gordon Law Group. If you've tried to do Bitcoin taxes yourself, you know how complicated it is. You can spend hours and hours going through your transactions and researching tax forms and you're still not sure if it's right or if the IRS will come after you. Or maybe you're so intimidated by Bitcoin taxes that you don't even know where to start. Gordon Law Group can help. Ditch the spreadsheets and feel confident with a bulletproof Bitcoin tax return. They can help with IRS payment plans and they also provide a full range of legal and accounting services for Bitcoin and digital asset startups. Get your taxes done right the first time with the original Bitcoin and digital asset tax pros. Go to gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. As a bonus, they'll send you the ultimate Bitcoin tax guide for free. That's gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. I'm joined by two very amazing people that are not only incredibly insightful colleagues, but friends I have in the Bitcoin world. We are going to talk about a topic, the most corrupt industry in the world. And a few Bitcoiners would be like, hold my beer. We're going to have a chat about banking. Well, I've got news for you. uh, Banking isn't the most corrupt industry in the world. Today, we're actually going to be talking about art. And joining me on this is incredible exploration into the traditional world of art versus the bitcoin world of art is the one and only dennis and nardo how are we doing today gentlemen hey. oh, i'm awesome yeah thanks for having us thank you so much for being here so always always an absolute pleasure to have uh, two very talented individuals and amazing creatives to to chat to on a wet and windy night here in South Wales. So uh, thank you very much for joining me from across the world. 
We've got a really interesting topic to talk about today, and I couldn't think of two better people I'd like to talk about it. The traditional world of art, I've got to be honest, this is a a world that when we met Dennis at the Bitcoin Amsterdam and Nada, when we talked to, when we had our first interview, you were like, well, you know, you're from the traditional art world. I was like, okay, that's cool. What's what's that like compared to the Bitcoin art world? And then the the sharp look on both your faces, or or the the, the in your voices, I could just hear the, the surprise, like, who, who you wait, mate, you you wait. Oh, I've got some stories. So that's why we're we're kind of here today. And I think it's a topic that isn't talked about enough. The, the traditional art world and the Bitcoin art space as well. And we have lots of stories to tell this evening on the particular topic. I think we should probably start maybe, Dennis, with you talking a little bit about the the, the traditional kind of art world structure and your experience as an artist in your so-called former life and how you've now grown into now being the, a, a pioneer and a curator at BMAG. So over to you, my friend. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up in the Midwest. I moved to Los Angeles in, I think, 2004, 2005. I stumbled into a pretty regular gig working for a number of different art galleries and ended up in Beverly Hills working at Gagosian for about four years. And, you know, it was a real eye-opener. And I... I came from like a very, you know, working class background where I thought I presumed that, you know, all I had to do is really work hard and, and my, and success was something that I could, I could generate on my own. And I think I worked what I realized really quickly, and it does have exact relationships with finance, if you ask me, because that sort of Cantillian effect of whoever's closest to the money printer is the exact same thing in high in the high art world. So yeah, I mean, it had some really short-term benefits for my exhibition career in, in LA, but also it just really exposed me to just a lot of really negative aspects of the environment. I think in general, there's an effort to sort of infantilize the way artists are, are are to be and just to keep artists sort of away from the economic understanding of, of things that are going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was exhilarating, but it also had some really darker components and, and it was exploitive. And so I think that is sort of what informs what, where I'm trying to go with BMAG in Nashville, our new physical curated space, but also just like you know, it just is in the back of my mind in general as we sort of navigate the infancy of a different type of art environment. I think it's really interesting because in my in my head, I, I'm not from the art world as such or have, have never been in the traditional art world. I've only been to exhibitions and just seen it from a distance and admired it and, and thought this is, an you know, an incredible world where creativity is you know is championed and it's it's the best that get to the top and that's how it works that has been torn down over the last two weeks where i've been burying my head in in some reading and some books and and also talking uh to to yourselves uh, as well i actually came across a website that actually said how to make it big as an artist and here <laughs> seven steps here we go. So I'm going to read these out. And then I'd just like you to, to give your opinion and comment if this 
is how it works. Step one, earn a master's degree in fine arts. Step two, get discovered by a small gallery. Step three, get your work displayed alongside other artists in one of the gallery's group shows. Step four, land your own solo show at the gallery. Step five, move to a more prestigious gallery. Step six, smile as the gallery sells your work for between 35K and 50K. And then step seven, obviously, is move on to become the next Damien Hurst. So that's that's kind of the the model that, that has been presented to me. How did that how does that meet reality in terms of your artistic career? Well, I think I, I love this chart. I think if it were this easy, we'd all be just freaking bringing in loads of cash. It's the best <laughs> in the world. But yeah, this is like the the most idyllic way of going about it. And I think this is what a lot of young aspiring artists in the traditional art world think is how it will work. And it is the least likely route of, of the traditional art world. You know, the master's degree thing is a controversial topic, but I definitely don't think you need any of that. You know, the small gallery component is huge. I think, I think that's a crucial component with with any traditional art aspiring artist. And also I think I'm seeing it a lot in the crypto art realm. You know, it's, this is the starting point. This is how, how galleries and artists grow is these sort of ecosystems. So yes, the small gallery system is a crucial component, you know, displaying with each other, establishing the communities with fellow artists engaging in conversation with fellow artists, that that is also crucial. So steps two and three are very accurate. You know, the solo show is important. But I also think that there's a perception that you aren't validated until you've had the solo show, which I think is a falsity as well. You know, I think the the true talented and thoughtful artists are are cautious about how they go about their first solo show, but at the same time, you don't want to miss an opportunity. And then obviously, once you've done all that, then you're Damien Hurst. Um, <laughs> making the million dollar paintings. But no, that's that's also false. So yeah, this is a great chart for maybe things of what not to do. <laughs> there we go, pressing the delete button on that now straight away. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing the thing about the graduate degree that that really makes it challenging is that you're saddled with all that debt. And 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 it's there like and like really I I think there's only a handful of art graduate programs that that would even matter. Like I mean and that and that's like an absurd amount of money and then I think you're I think you're beholden to certain types of art making if you come out of those programs and 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 i actually like i think academic art world is like a parallel art world like and what i saw when working in galleries like had almost zero connection to like you know becoming a professor like or, or like i mean that they're they're really not there's they're there's not very much overlap between those two things. So, when when you started, as you worked for free and worked your way up, and then you kind of you got momentum in your art career. T talk about that time in 
in your life? Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I was lucky enough to meet a woman that was smarter than me and convinced me to that I shouldn't be trying to like go to graduate school and that I should just move to be with her. So that was great. That's my wife. And 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 then when I got to LA, I worked a catering job at night and I worked at a sort of famous nonprofit space in LA. And actually it was right on the Hollywood strip. So I, I really pulled the Band-Aid off in terms of like throwing myself into a super weird world. Like that, it's just a weird, Hollywood strip is really weird. It's, you know, got the, you know, the, the stars right in front right on, the, on the pavement. And then also like, there was like a, <laughs> it used to be such a dirty place. Like it, it was like strip club clothing. And then like our, this nonprofit space. So anyways. It, it, I, it, LA has changed a lot. It's, it's a lot, not as dirty as it used to be. It's more of a Disney experience, but yeah. So that, but that would, but it was a way for me to meet other people and to go to a bunch of and participate. And, you know, I just went to a ton of shows and it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, but, you know, once I, you, you quickly became kind of, jaded about certain elements and just like, you know, I saw massive productions. It's funny. We keep bringing up Damien Hurst's name. So Damien Hurst did a show at Gagosian that made over a hundred million dollars when I worked there. And he, it was funny. My interaction at one point with him was that he was signing posters of his and I, and I was moving it over, you know, I was in my twenties and I, I was moving it over. And, and, and his complaint the second day was like, oh, you moved it a lot faster the first day. Like he, he was like, oh, you moved the posters from one pile to the other a lot faster the, the, the first time. Yeah. And then, okay, well, let's, pull, let's also tell dirty stories. It's, it's Dennis's dirty stories time. Okay. So Damien Hurst had an affair with one of the salespeople at Gagosian at the time. And... This he gave her these two multi-million dollar paintings. And when management find out, it's funny because management found out and she did get fired, but like there was also like it was more just like you need to be more discreet about it than than what you did was actually bad. That was that, that was kind of the lesson that was being taught. And and she took one of those paintings. She was actually quite upfront about what she did. I always thought she I always appreciated her attitude because she wasn't she didn't feel disgraced by this or or like a sense of shame. And frankly, she might have been smart because she sold this painting at auction for multi, for like over a million dollars and started her own art gallery and showed really great art for a number of years. So yeah, Gagosian was wild. It was a really weird place. You got to see like, like I remember Madonna came in once and I was just blown away by her behavior as acting like a child. She was like yelling a lot and just like, it was just weird childish behavior. So it, it was a weird intersection point, a lot of celebrities and just like immense amount of drinking and bad behavior. And I, you know, it took several years for me to realize like, hey, maybe this isn't the best environment for people. And uh, yeah, so it was a party. It was weird. And but also you got to see like its interconnection. I remember I was there during the 2008 financial crash. 
And I remember it's it was interesting to see like the fear, but also what happened was there was sort of a consolidation effect similar to in banking where they absorbed, you know, they stole good artists from smaller galleries and it was just like other banks absorbing smaller banks. So that really gave me a different financial view. And, uh, and yeah, there was other weird things going on. I know that occasionally there was shipping fraud occurring to, to avoid sales tax in certain places by shipping things to other places and just the inner, you know, really in, and just like nothing was ever for sale because there was an expectation that you have to do certain things as a collector before you have access to bigger pieces. So, and yeah, I mean, I think Rebel, you and I have talked about this before, like the disclosure of a price tag on something, you would think that that's like very rudimentary level of, of the way the exchange goes. It's just not like that. And uh, also like, and at lower level galleries, there's sort of an immediate expectation. The inverse is true. At lower level galleries, there's like an expectation once you walk in the door that you can get anything for 20% off or more, which, you know, A, a your money is deflate, inflating and losing value. And B, there's an expectation that they can get anything for, for less. So it's really hard for a younger artist to have a long-term career because, you know, all these things are against you. I think that this may be later into the conversation about like how Bitcoin could potentially be beneficial to artists. But I think Nardo should share some of his experience as an artist because I think he has some similar intersection points. And I have talked a lot. That was good. I think, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of us in, in this sort of traditional art realm benefit by starting off by working for free. I think that's a pretty common, commonplace trajectory, you know, whether it's an internship with the museum or, or with a, a well-known artist, you very frequently see that, you know, to sort of get your foot in the door, cut your teeth, you're, you're working for free in the beginning which I think in some sense is a good thing. That's, that's very much how I started. You know, I, I grew up in the Southwest and then went to school in Chicago in 2010 and sort of halfway through my schooling, I was already sort of like seeking out the best instructors at my school and sort of asking for opportunities to sort of like essentially work for them for free. You know, my main goal with that was just to see how they operated their studios on a larger scale. And even in the sense of like how business operated, because they really don't teach that, at least in my experience in these sort of traditional art schools. So I think, you know, in my youth during the time in school, that was a very like idyllic moment for me, you know, working for free and sort of like essentially being the starving artist student. You know, my first job for free was actually I was the artist had me travel from Chicago to New York and coincidentally to Tribeca, like on the same block where we just had that exhibition, the Pepe exhibition. And so we were squatting in an 8,000 square foot like base unit, like a storefront and utilizing it as this like massive art studio. I really don't know the the background of how this artist was utilizing this space, but just, you know, to a 19 year old 
you know, it was like the most exciting time of my life. And, and so that was, I, I have very fond memories of that. You know, the memory is kind because I, I, I struggled a lot, you know, I was broke as hell, you know, and, and it was funny, you know, I was working crazy amounts of hours for free with, with my roommate too. He, he was traveling with me. And so we sort of like got to get our foot in the door in that sense in, in New York, sort of like traveled around with this artist we were working for going to some of the meetings. And so I think that was a very, that was a very unique experience because that artist at the time was very generous and, in, in in introducing us to certain people. And so that was unique. You know, I, I, I've worked for many artists after that, and it was not the case at all. You know, the studio assistant is sort of treated in a way that it's sort of like they're, how would you, they're like the peasants of the art world. You know, you can sort of like walk all over your studio assistants. The big name galleries would even refuse to shake my hand when I was introduced as like a certain big name artist's assistant. You know, it was, it was really crazy. All while I'm the one making like 99% of, of the paintings for these blue chip artists. So it was a very fascinating experience for me. And I think I, I learned a lot. I saw a lot of things that I kind of also recognized that if I were to pursue a very serious studio and art business, and if I were to hire assistants, I now understand all the things that I would not do to my assistants. And instead sort of like take on the sort of art history mentality of, of utilizing the experiences and skills I've learned and sort of teaching it to my assistants almost as like mentors. And I think that's like where you get the sort of art historical school of Leonardo da Vinci and stuff like that, you know, where he's teaching these other like kids that are in his town or whatever, like how to create the most beautiful Renaissance paintings. So that's my background. I, I you know, Dennis has quite a bit of experience working in the gallery, the blue chip gallery circuit, as well as artists. And I think my concentrate and my formative time as an artist was working with many various artists in Chicago and sort of learning from all of them. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head-on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, 
Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine. That's fascinating, by the way, what, what both of you have just dropped. Incredible bombs there. And, and we could we could talk about so many things that you've just, just said there, which is shocking and incredible to be to be perfectly honest. Nardo, I want to start with you here. Now, I think it's fair to say you're quite a skilled artist. I think a lot a lot of us can kind of agree on that. I personally believe that. I've seen your work in the flesh up close and Great. insane how you made the painting so flat and so and, and it almost looks like a print, except it's real. It's an oil on canvas. So I, I you know, I I don't know much about fine art, but I I I've got a good idea that you're pretty skilled at your craft. When we talked for the first time back in, I think it was April of this year. Mm-hmm. And you explained your route into fake rares and, and how your work got discovered. I believe it was on Twitter. You you said to me that you were about to start a job as a nurse, I believe. Yeah. There's obviously a huge disconnect there that we've got an incredibly talented artist who's doing a lot of work for a lot of other artists in the area, in the Chicago area, producing this quality work, which, you know, they then go on to sell for thousands of, of dollars. Why weren't you allowed to progress up to your own show? What where would, what happened? Where's, there's a disconnect there. Totally. Yeah, that's like sort of like the time travel moment. You know, I, I spent, I think about close to 10 years in Chicago, you know, both as the sort of Chicago circuit studio assistant. I worked for so many artists in Chicago and just cause it's such a tight knit community. They sort of knew me as like, I guess, a relatively efficient and talented studio assistant. So that's how I was able to hop around studio to studio. So doing that all while also holding my own studio, you know, where I would work all day for other artists and then finally the last four or five hours of the night, I, you know, sort of return to my studio and just be totally unmotivated just because I had utilized my entire creative capacity working on art for everybody else. So I think near the end of my experience in Chicago, I did feel like I was losing steam. You know, I was still creating my own work. I was having shows, doing the group shows. I had had my like first solo show like two years before I left Chicago but I think really a part of me just felt exhausted by by the culture sort of the political correctness that was involved in in art you know you had mentioned earlier you would imagine that like a a painter that maybe had some serious skill would skyrocket to the top but that really wasn't often the case you know, it, 
there's a lot of political components to this, a lot of corruptness, you know, gallerists looking for particular types of artists where they can sort of make the most money from as well. So I think I, I was turned off by that quite a bit. All while I met my best friend, which is now my wife, and she was from Pennsylvania. So I actually left Chicago and moved to Pennsylvania with her. She lives kind of in the middle of nowhere. That's where her family's from. And so that was a huge culture shock for me going from like the streets of Chicago, always looking over my shoulder. And now I'm, you know, walking into the only dollar general in a 25 mile radius. And actually the first week I moved to Pennsylvania, they clicked the button under the counter because they thought I was robbing the store. <laughs> Just because it's like, it was such a small town. They're like, who the heck is this person? I've never seen them before. And they just went to click the button and, you know, police came and I had to explain that I just moved here from Chicago. And they're like, why the heck would you do that? You know? So yeah, huge culture shock, you know, definitely no art. I was making art just in like a, a little extra bedroom at that point. And I was taking care of my wife's elderly grandfather who had passed away. So I think all that experience, my removal from the art world, like in a physical capacity, you know, turned me towards the idea of nursing. And so I just, you know, COVID hit. Coincidentally, I'd already applied and I was accepted into nursing school. And that was like a huge, weird experience onto itself. But I think nursing school was crucial because for one, it was the most difficult thing I have ever done in my entire life. And two, at the end of it, I realized I'm going to do everything in my power not to be a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> So that's when I was sort of seeing the sort of revitalization of Pepe, rare Pepe's on Twitter, crypto Twitter, and getting really excited about that a few months before I graduated and decided to make the Mona Lisa as a frog just for fun. You know, I was, I was sort of, I hadn't made any art for a, about 16 months and I was like, I just need to do something to like maintain sanity because I haven't used my creative you know, spirit in, in this huge amount of time. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to do something kind of for fun. And so one thing led to another, I created the Pepinardo. I became Pepinardo <laughs> and, uh, you know, made the, the Pepalisa and, you know, got linked up with the fake rares and life's changed ever since. Hey, so, Nardo, tell, tell about the people's reaction around you as you were making that piece. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, that was like the, the, the funny point, you know, end of nursing school. I'm, I'm losing my mind, literally pulling my hair out from the nursing textbooks. And then here I am sitting in a dark corner in, in my extra bedroom creating this green Mona Lisa. And my wife is like, he's lost it. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone thought I lost it. It took it took a couple paintings for people to start to realize, like, oh, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. 
I get that. It is really funny because, you know, we, we know these pieces as just being a part of the, this larger group. And, you know, we forget these stories about like how transformative they are for the people when they are making them, you know, I, I just can imagine what that would have been like for, for your family to be viewing you go through that. Like, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 It was it was like the most fun, you know, and that's (laughs) creating a painting just because I was, I I knew I was doing something correct because even the people closest to me were freaked out by it. And so I, I, I remember, I don't even remember who the artist is, but I remember in school, I once saw an interview where a very respectable artist was talking about you know when you're making the correct body of work when your family doesn't understand it you know the people that are closest to you don't understand it so you know when when my wife was shocked i was like all right we're doing something (laughs) here we go i'll I'll never forget in that during the interview that we had in april where you had to kind of call the the news and say i'm not turning up tomorrow sorry busy painting anthropomorphic yes. frogs you know so. <laughs> well, i i like to this day i feel bad about that because i i had they had essentially trained me for like two months for this position i was still in school being trained for this job to be lined up immediately after graduating and at that point i think i had already been on to my third fake rare and i was just sort of realizing like i have to put like my full time and focus into this stuff right now like this is i can't let this opportunity go you know i'm literally like pursuing the thing i love the most so i'm just calling up the hospital that i was essentially working at i'm like hey i got a opportunity with my art you know i'm not gonna be taking the job and god I don't even think they returned my call because I ended up leaving a voicemail and they were just like, screw this guy. (laughs) I'm glad it's worked out for you. And and it's, it's wonderful that there's, there's a very happy ending to this, this story and, and, and your art now is thriving. It's exciting. You're happy as a creative. It shows in your work because what you're producing is incredibly exciting. I eagerly await the new Nardo. Whenever I hear one's coming out, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, this is it. This is a car wait. You know, I was excited. Dennis, this isn't always the path that happens, is it, in terms of the traditional art world? I mean, I'd like to, if you could, tell us a little bit about your experience because you you are an artist as well in your right, and you've had a, a slightly different path to Nardo. And if you'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, no. First of all, I just identified with a lot with what he was saying because it, 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 you, 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 it's really hard to have a long career without the support of some sort of traditional job. So I know the thought process that he that, that he went through in terms of like, well, and it's destructive to relationships. Like, it's really hard to, I mean, you know. Nardo has a wife. I have, I have a wife and kids. And you you know, when you're, when your paycheck is like all on the success of a show and it goes badly, like that's, it is really hot. It's really tough. Like, and, 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 you know, there was a period in the mid to late two thousands where 
things were going really good for me. And I, but, but, you know, you do also get addicted to that, like high adrenaline state and, and the, and the lows are really hard, like to have a show that goes poorly. Like I had a show in 2018 where nothing sold. And that was the first time I'd ever encountered that. And, and, and then COVID hit and it was pretty crushing. Like at all, I mean, I know everybody has these stories, but I, you know, and, but the interesting part about now working within Bitcoin art, I think, is that you look around, like you look around and you're like, oh, who do I go to about this for this? How do I make this happen? You make it happen, which is like really exciting, I think. So we're at, look, the financial system is collapsing. We, we're, we're going to have to rebuild things, including artists. And, you know, we're at an interesting inflection point. And so, like, we can take the blinders off and we can create whatever we want now. And I, I mean, I think we're kind of potentially at that phase. So, yeah, I think I'll make art again. I haven't been doing it in the last two years, but, you know, we're in the infancy here and we get to make it how we want. And, you know, I don't know. I, when I came into this job, I, I thought that it would be about building the bridge for sort of legitimate art worlds to this space. But I, I discovered people like Nardo who are already here. And there's tons of them and they're interesting. And uh, it's about uplifting those people. And it's very exciting. And, you know, yeah, I'm, and, and, and it's more deep than I anticipated. I, I, I think we've talked about symbology in, in separate conversations a couple times, but I didn't know. Here's my introduction to Pepe. My introduction to Pepe is the Paul Thomas Anderson film Magnolia that ends in a scene where it rains frogs. Now, this is a biblical reference. So, do you want to expound upon that a little bit? Because, and I think maybe this could be a gateway to other parts of the conversation. But yeah, that, that was my introduction to Pepe. Sure. Yeah, I mean, my introduction to Pepe was literally like the reign of frogs just I was seeing on Twitter. But, you know, as, as, as I've made... As I've made a few of these, as I was making a few of these, you know, I, I started to really question, like, why the heck are we making so many images of of this frog? And I think it's a really important question to ask as it relates to Bitcoin. You know, we're making we're making these fine art pieces on Bitcoin, which is a disruptive symbol in itself. Pepe, and just the frog in general in history is essentially a sort of like transformative and disruptive symbol as well. So I, you know, I think there's no coincidence why we are making so many images of, of a frog right now. I think in terms of memes and memetics, it makes 100, com like it just, it blows my mind how sensical this is, even though it looks like a cluster right now, you know, historically, Frogs are a very crucial symbol biblically. You know, they they represented change and chaos. You know, in fairy tales like the Brothers Grimm, the Frog Prince, it's all about chaos and change and metamorphosis. You know, and I think everything that the frog represents in history 
in anthropology, in, in metaphysics, is everything that we are currently doing in crypto art and specifically on Bitcoin right now. And I think people are sort of starting to realize this too, even like without knowing it, they're realizing it. So it, it tells me that we are in the beginning phase right now, because if the frog represents chaos and literally Lord Keck is the Egyptian God of chaos, you know, I've always said through chaos comes great change. So I think we are on the precipice of something very, very interesting. And we are moving into an entirely new realm of fine art as it relates to Bitcoin. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic and honestly a very strange relationship that we're making art as it relates to a cryptocurrency essentially. I do like that idea because as 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 Bitcoin intersects with base levels of energy, it makes sense that art making would tap into greater knowledges of symbology on a deeper level. Like these are two things that are intertwined in a certain way. So mm -hmm. like to yeah, and maybe maybe art making has a deeper connection could could begin an even deeper connection to symbology and uh, the creative ele elements. But yeah, I'm digging what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rebel, me and Dennis are, 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 we've come to understand that we're both very much interested in, in sort of symbolism and metaphysics. And it's, really really insane to share these commonalities as it relates to what we're doing in bitcoin you know it's it's so fun <laughs> it's great isn't it it's it's the most exciting place in the world right now and and as you say it's it's, it's literally the genesis it's something that i described just before we started the interviews it's it's just an embryo in the womb now which mm -hmm. is you know it's growing and it's 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 at that point where you know we, we can influence it we can change things and and it is chaotic we don't know what the the child to be born will look yeah. like you know at, at the moment but that's hey guys speaking of the child speaking of the child that we bore my daughter just walked out and handed me a book that came to me in the mail. And it's Martin Heidegger's <laughs> The Question Concerning Technology and Other Essays. Oh my that's, gosh. That's what my daughter just handed it's me. It's a sign. It's a sign. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a weird, weird occurrence, but yeah. It, 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 is, it is something crazy. I mean, one of the taglines for the Bitcoin conference in miami in 1494 the invention of the double entry accounting ushered in a new era of human prosperity and a golden age of artistic expression followed shortly after since 2008 the invention of bitcoin has inaugurated the latest chapter of human flourishing where do you see that this is going and nardo in particular you, you talked a little bit about different phases and where we're at in, in Bitcoin art. And and actually, it might, might actually be worth before that. What is Bitcoin art, Dennis? What what actually is, we banded this term around Bitcoin art, but what, what actually is it and what, what does it include? Well, well, I think there's probably some really nice art historical parallels, but I think 
right now it's a, a collection of various subsects that that have relationships with Bitcoin. You know, there's meme culture, there's activism, and there's just the straightforward symbology of the emblem. There's also like envisioning various facets of the the network itself. But yeah, I think very quickly it's going to be everything. Like I don't think I think it will be like it's like saying I'm making internet art. Like that could be anything, you know, like it'll you know, I'm making artwork about water. Like I don't know. I think I so I don't know. I think very quickly we're gonna move through some phases where it it's open to anything. And but I I but like he might I don't know if he wants me to talk about this, but right now I just I've had some conversations with crypto graffiti or cryptography. I don't, I feel like that's really uncomfortable to say it that way. I know that that wasn't his intention, but like, uh, anyways, he's making some artwork about CBDCs. And I think this is super valuable to our space and is indicative of sort of this activist language. But yeah, I mean, those are two parts. There's, there's going to be more. And before we know it, you wouldn't even characterize art making as Bitcoin art, like I, because, you know, I don't know. It's just art. Nardo, where do you think we are at at the moment in terms of our Bitcoin art story and 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 the the, the metamorphosis that we're going through at the moment? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I think Dennis, you know, touched on it perfectly, but I think we. It's so funny. Yeah, obviously Bitcoin's been around since 2008 and I think Counterparty's been around since 2014. Is that correct? I think it was around then 2013-2014 time, yeah. So I mean, you know, in that sense it's not new, but I think the art being made on it is is sort of the forefront of 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 this movement. You know, obviously you have the early spells of Genesis and rare Pepe's and, you know, other projects that are, are the historical Bitcoin projects that relate to that, you know, but there really is only a handful of things occurring right now. And so when you look at the art being made on Counterparty and on Bitcoin, it it is muddled right now. There's no coherent... I mean, yeah, there's coherent things in the sense of directories and Pepe's and memes like Dennis mentioned, but there's no like coherent movements, I'd say, or like styles maybe. And obviously I can't even put my finger on it because I, I just, you know, it's, it's still sort of formulating itself. I think I made, I made the comment earlier that Bitcoin art and counterparty is not self-aware yet, which I think is interesting. I, and I think this is the time of this creation where you're seeing the most creative ideas emerge. You know, people are experimenting and sort of playing around with the idea of what Bitcoin art is. And so I think this is a very formative time for this community and this art world you know, the crypto art world. It's a very formative time for it right now to sort of like front run what is to come in the future. And so I think the artists involved, I think us three here, 
are are part of the sort of conversation that occurs early on that influences the art artists and collectors that sort of move forward into the space you know and so crypto moves extremely fast and i think we're going to see a huge sense of variation and difference in crypto art and bitcoin art being made in in a short amount of time like six six months to a year we're going to see you know, entire movements happening. And so people sort of like even trying to talk about them and, and categorize them in ways. So yeah, I think I think a lot is happening. It's not sensical to me yet. In a grand scheme, it's not sensical. But I think that's the most exciting part about it. You know, it's still very early. I agree. It's, it's the, the chaos that draws me closer to the flame, you know, that that's feels like at the moment how does how would how would bitcoin fix the traditional art world you know bitcoin is obviously on a mission at the moment to try and fix fix the banks etc we've obviously had a well some would say setback some would say opportunity with the ftx trading that's happened that's cut the bitcoin price by 25 percent and in my own personal experience as well as, as we talked about before going on air was about to showcase a piece in a in a local gallery they've just said it's pulled because we don't believe that we should be showcasing crypto messages when 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 the economic environment is as it is that's wonderful the way that the, i will be showing that piece regardless in the true spirit of bitcoin and hey rebel do you mind describing that piece a little bit because i feel like it had such a great intention and that their and their rejection of it just oh it's it's like you know it's i don't know i'm just i just i'm surprised i just think like there's kind of some cruel irony about it but like it's it's yeah i feel like they're missing the message but yes well the the piece that i've sorted it was it was more of a proof of concept to be honest with you and trying something different so what i wanted to do was use bitcoin to spread spread love for all the way around the world to my small town here in, in wales and in order to do that and i'm, I'm still going to do it but it's just going to be probably on the side of my house or just somewhere some shop if i can break into it maybe in the main street but it's uh, it's showing christmas lights bitcoin related messages that you can turn on these Christmas lights at this wonderful time of year just by using lightning payments through incredible work that LMBits is using. In my opinion, you know, this is something that was going to benefit everyone. A third of the proceeds were going to go to the community center. A third were going to go to a local charity and a third were going to coin meetups. So it was benefiting everyone. However, they didn't want to be associated with crypto world, so to speak. And the negative connotations there simply because they were concerned that their fund funding partners may not look kindly upon it. So yeah, that that's that's kind of the stigma that that's being attached to it at the moment. And I, I do hope in time those people learn. Hopefully, after we if I run this experiment very soon, this art experiment combining finance and technology, who knows? You know, they you know open it up. You've got to be innovators. We have to be on the front foot. We have to be role models and guiding the way. It's the only only way to do it. I believe, you know, as, as artists, we need to be the most creative and thought-provoking people around so, uh, so that other people then are attracted 
this incredible space and we have this talent going and then what happens more talent is comes along etc 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 so that's that's where you know what what i believe and it, it, it hopefully that'll attract more people like like me and 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 people like yourselves as well that won't say no or will go against the grain the traditional art world the people who are holding the funding for strings so to so to speak but yeah, but how how does how does Bitcoin fix fix things? You know, that's I guess that's the question I want to put to you. We we have a cultural revolution, which you know we're we're obviously part of today with, with memetics and messages, and we can go back to that bit. But also, there's the actual nuts and bolts of the network, also help us as artists as well. I think in terms of just a few few things to consider here. You know, it's considered that forty to seventy percent of the art market is fakes and i don't mean fakes in the good fakes sense as in <laughs> fake prayers i actually mean fake as in so this is as a crazy statistic that's something like rembrandt scholars or say there's only 300 pieces are made but there's 600 pieces on the market at the moment so you know it's 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 something crazy there so so bitcoin can can obviously help there with the transparency and being able to help with the provenance because of open ledger right. And we have also you you talked about earlier about artists being paid as well that's another key issue artists need to be paid and we need need to eat that's something bitcoin can fix can you talk a little bit about that so yeah sure and obviously dennis can touch on this too just because he has the the gallery perspective but you know i think there's a stereotype in the traditional art world where the artist is always chasing down their gallerists to get paid. And that's the unfortunate truth. You know, I pretty much every artist I ever worked for, and even I've experienced it myself a couple of times, you know, are constantly in the dark about what works are being sold at their exhibitions, what works are being sold out of the gallery storage, how much they're being sold for, you know, gallerists give discounts all the time. And the unfortunate reality is that sometimes, depending on who the collector is, they'll give discounts to the collector, but they'll take that discount out of the artist's portion, you know, and, and maybe that's not a very, it's never a transparent thing, you know, the, the artist just gets paid and assumes that's their 50%, you know, and the 50-50% cut is is a pretty, I guess, standard, you know, percentage cut. I've, I've heard some major galleries even maybe take 60%, and so the artist gets less, you know. Though so I can... will say I witnessed some artists renegotiate that at higher levels, but, but yeah, I, that was my experience as well. Yeah, go ahead, Nardo. No, no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, that's the fact, you know. That's artists are chasing down money, their money, you know, <laughs> and I, I think it's insane. And yeah, I, I, I think Bitcoin definitely, you know, changes this. It allows for the transparency and it gives the power to the artist as well to, to price their work and, and to sell their work. You know, I never want to, I never want to disregard the gallerists because I think they do play a critical role in in the ecosystem but I think as it is in these top tier blue chip galleries it, it 
can become very toxic and misleading very fast. So I think there's room for growth in Bitcoin for the stuff to, you know, where, where, where transparency is the basis and you can sort of build off that, you know, obviously scarcity and, and Bitcoin, the conferences, the auctions at the conferences and everything that I've experienced so far takes nowhere near what the traditional art world takes as far as a percentage. Yeah. And I think even there, there's an opportunity for, okay, so here's my thing. I think maybe Bitcoin has the possibility of disincentivizing some of these things because you're not up against an inflating currency that makes you or like it, it or just maybe less exploitive revenue sharing because you know if your money is evaporating you you resort to a lot of you know potentially sketchy stuff and nardo you voiced like witnessing art galleries, you know, pull from other sales of different shows to pay people. And yeah, and in general, like waiting, like having to be very belligerent about trying to get paid. It's, it's, it sucks. And uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's a really rough part about it. And yeah, I think maybe Bitcoin potentially disincentivizes some of this if, if its value is easier to pin down and, you know, not susceptible to some of the exterior monetary elements. And in, in, in the short term, if it's escalating in value, maybe you're, 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 the gallery isn't trying to take such a large percentage because it knows it has faith in, in, a, currency, in a currency exchange that is escalating in value over time. So, Dennis here. I want to quote you, which I think is a wonderful quote. I, when I read this, I was like, wow. Amazing. So I'm just going to read it out now. Selling artwork for sats is an artist's way of mining. Artists know proof of work and energy transmutation has always been a part of the alchemical process of painting. So I think that's great. And artists are mining their, they're selling their work for sats. And in turn, if that will get more valuable, more valuable over time, it's, it's a better store of time isn't it that time isn't going to evaporate which which will mean mean in future if someone sells a piece of work they won't be doing a job and, and much like you did nardo earlier in your career then going off and then having to do four or five hours of of working when you're on an empty tank you beat me to it rebel because exactly and it and that's a good point because it also talks about how larger artists basically use have to resort to sort of a slave labor type arrangement because they themselves know that they can't produce fast enough for their own. I mean, that's another relationship that maybe needs to change. And Nardo, you brought it up earlier, I believe, in terms of classical mentorship. And was this in a different conversation? Maybe I'm picking from our previous conversation, but like a, a classical model of apprenticeship being potentially and transfer of knowledge you know maybe yeah maybe certain styles of art making have arisen over time because of that disconnect of communication of artistry like i mean that's sort of that might be a little troublesome in the way i'm phrasing it but you might also know what i mean 
Yeah, I mean, obviously in a perfect world, that's that's how it would be, you know, the sort of like transfer of knowledge, transfer of skill and, and being able to sort of like provide technical abilities to to a younger generation of artists you know I, I think that would be the most fulfilling thing to pursue in an art studio you know but then the reality of it in the traditional art world is when when artists are being flashed checks of a hundred thousand dollars for a painting you know that definitely clouds their judgment and so i think that's definitely the that that is the the norm and i think we've both experienced that sort of in our experiences working for artists and galleries in the traditional art world. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I talk about all this and, and it's, I'm coming at it from a experience of, of what I've dealt with in the crypto art world. And it's, it's all, you know, sunshine and, and roses right now. <laughs> it's a beautiful. Probably thing. won't always be, but you know, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, the inevitable reality of, of crypto art and Bitcoin art sort of meeting the norms of the traditional art world are always there. You know, we're, we're already seeing it in these like record sales on, on the ETH side of the world with Beeple's $69 million sale. You know, that wasn't a sale. That was just like a wash trade, you know, that's the exact same things that are occurring in the traditional art world. And that's why you're seeing these crazy projections. Revel, you showed a statistic of like, what, like 2021, there was like, what, our world was worth $300 billion or something. Yes. So it grew from $275 billion in 2021 to $450 billion in 2022 is crazy yeah and then the projected 2026 is what 720 billion so that right there is showing us that this isn't because artists are getting better at making paintings <laughs> it's just it's like art galleries are just getting more suave about how to shuffle around money a little bit faster and easier and, you know what better thing than at it's it's just crazy. So yeah, I think I think that's why it's important for people like us and people that are involved in in these early moments of Bitcoin art to sort of just be genuine and thoughtful about what we're making and and the collectors that we're involved with. You know, I think the collectors as well as a, a crucial component. You know, in the traditional art world, the artist doesn't have a relationship with their collector. Whereas here, a huge appeal for me is that my relationships with my collectors are like really beautiful. You know, I'm recognizing that a lot of them don't have, you know, a huge understanding of art history, of contemporary art history. They know, you know, the essential structure of it, but it doesn't go deep. And so it's a really amazing thing and a pretty amazing relationship to have with your collector when when you're both sort of like learning and, and navigating a space, a new space together at the same time. So I think that's like a huge difference, you know, and that that's probably like my number one appeal to this space as opposed to the traditional art world is I'm essentially building a team, you know, as the artist. I'm not relying on a gallery to sort of 
choose and pick who gets to collect my art, which is the reality of that. I think you mentioned it earlier, Dennis, wasn't it, where certain people can only buy certain bits of art. Here's a, here's a crazy story. Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter actor, wanted to buy a Jim Hodges, but was rejected by the gallery because he wasn't prestigious enough. <laughs> crazy and and then he actually tweeted jim hodges then and actually went round and bought some art from jim the studio yeah yeah, yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. that you, as nardo was talking it reminded me of well actually we him and i know a couple collectors that are like this but like they in i remember one time a fairly well-known la collector did a studio visit and he was like look sell me these four pieces for like you know an eighth of the cost of it and you know you'll be in my collection and this will pan out well for you down the line now that's not inherently a a horrible 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 deal but it is it is exploitive on a certain level mm -hmm. and uh, i don't want to be naive to say that there isn't an advantage to doing that for some people but I don't think it was an advantage for me. <laughs> so I don't know. And actually, you know, we shouldn't be too naive. I would imagine that there is some things going on in this current realm. And your your wash trading comment is probably appropriate, but like there's probably some collector things going on, whether it's, you know, I don't know, collectors that are multiple people and like are, you know, some interesting identity related things that may or may not be going on so i think in this space at the moment as you were saying nada there is the option for everyone to purchase a piece and save your work if needed you know it's, it's at that level where anyone can come in and that almost is just the relationship that is it's, it's a naivety something as you say something beautiful around the collector not knowing the art history or anything just looking at that picture and going that really speaks to me. That's something that really resonates with me deeply. And I want to part with Bitcoin. And we all know how hard Bitcoin is hard to part from with Bitcoin, yeah, which is something huge, you know, it's something huge in order for me to purchase that piece of art. And, and there's, there's methods like counterparty is a great way for everyone. Everyone may, may not own fake Genesis, mm -hmm. but people can have something that they can own a, a piece of a Nardo, you know, it's, it's something, and then obviously have a relationship with, with, with right. the artist as well. It's, that's what you say is, is, I think really refreshing and really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, it's such a, like, that is like such a satisfying part of all this you know the transparency obviously lends itself to the relationships of of people who are connoisseurs of your work and and at the same time you're able to as an artist sort of like utilize the collectors to springboard ideas and questions off yeah. of you know i I am so often messaging my collectors because I know that they are much smarter than I in terms of handling finances and, and just 
understanding their perspectives of Bitcoins and various other, you know, positions and stuff like that. And it, it's such a amazing ecosystem to be involved in, to be able to sort of like, you know, educate each other. <laughs> and so we're essentially all each other's mentors and we're all each other's educators. So definitely, you know, I think crypto Twitter and Telegram are, are wonderful sort of tools that allow for this too. I think what you said is right. It's a relationship. It's actually a relationship rather yeah. than, yeah, I've got a relationship with my collectors. No, you have. A relationship is something where there's an exchange, isn't there, in between two parties. One party may be getting more or less than the other, but there is an exchange in between two people. Direct access to your yes. collectors is huge. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you're right. That's a big deal. I'm going to wrap up our conversation soon. I just want to, I just really want to, I suppose, ask, start with you, Dennis. You're obviously the curator now of BeatMag, which is a art gallery in Nashville. I believe it's the first of its kind in the world where Bitcoin art is displayed 24-7. And there's some incredible pieces there. I, I've got to be honest, I'm really jealous. It might be the reason I might visit Nashville one day. I mean, Nashville's probably a really <laughs> nice place as well, but it's going to probably drag me there. I'm not going to lie. What is what is your hope now with this this gallery? You've obviously made a statement by having it there. You've said this is something real. This is something we're gonna we're gonna grow. But where do you see it going in the future? You know, right now it has a couple different faces. And hats off for Tommy for making a big effort to include Ross Ulbrich as a part of of it. So we do have an installation of Ross dedicated to Ross Ulbrich and the artwork that he's making from jail and also the and also a connection to both yeah, raising funds for him and you know just keeping an awareness about it because there's a whole slew of bitcoiners that don't even know the story about Silk Road or Ross Ulbrich at this stage. So it does have a advocacy side, but you know, and right now it's it's an interesting, it's in an interesting zone because it has collected art from both David Bailey, the CEO, Tommy as well, and it, that is in the collection of Bitcoin Magazine, and then it also has space for rotating exhibitions, which I think is really exciting. You know, we don't have that, and I think we need a place where actually. We're seeing this happen in other other areas. So Nashville also has Bitcoin Park, which is this place where developers and different voices within Bitcoin are coming to speak. Like I saw Jack Muller speak there a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, and you know to a you know to a Bitcoin meetup group that was standing room only. So like I mean they're doing meetups there but also at various programming from education to development. So Nashville has a couple of things going on. And I think that the BMAG space will interact with some of those, but also just like, look, there's not very many spaces for physical artwork. It's important to be around other people and have these conversations in person. And this is what we want that to be. That's really cool. Where I'm it's going, I have no, where it's going, I have no idea. Like, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm really curious. We don't know. The, the baby hasn't been born yet, Dennis. You know, it's, it's still, this is it. <laughs> don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Nardo, where, where do you, you've obviously, where do you see Bitcoin art going? 
in the future and also any any advice for an artist who one of their friends may have may have said hey listen to this there's this really cool community bitcoin art artists and there's something special going on here you should be part of it what's the advice you can give to that person yeah i mean i think i think for one counterparty crypto twitter to an extent and obviously like the telegram groups are such a welcoming environment for artists that aren't don't already have a traditional background in art or they're just starting out for the first time. Like I mentioned, so much of what is occurring right now on Counterparty and Bitcoin art is very experimental. I think people are sort of like finding themselves as artists. And I think, you know, this is such a safe place to be creating work right now. And so we're going to sort of see sort of this next wave of and generation of artists sort of arise from from counterparty. So any artists that are interested or coming on, I'd say just jump in a telegram group and start minting some stuff on counterparty. Yeah, like the work of T. Wardo. He's really, he, T. Wardo is really, he's an up and comer, that guy. Yeah. He's, he's... yeah I, I, I can't hold a candle to T. Wardo, man. He's, no, he's you like, can't. He's crushing me. Some, some really original pieces. Done in such an eloquent, eloquent way that yeah. uh, is going to blow that guy. Yeah, he's going places. Yeah. yeah, hopefully one day I can arise to his level. <laughs> Great point. Is there anything else that you that we haven't talked about already that we feel we need to share at this point? And no, I, I think I think metaphysically, as it relates to frogs, we are in a a beautiful time right now. You know, things look dark. FTX has taken a decline and brought everything down with it. So we are literally swimming in the darkness right now. And I think when the princess dropped her golden ball into the pond and it sunk to the bottom, that's where the darkness was. And the only thing that took it up to the surface and towards the light was a frog. So I think right now we all just need to be making art about frogs. <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> I, I that brought a tear to my eye. Thank you very much. It was so beautiful. Listen both. I, I think this has been a really interesting and informative conversation. And it's just been a joy to be part of this evening. So I, I want to thank you both. Just before we close off, where can people get in touch with you if they need to. I'm denim all caps on Twitter. Denim all caps. I'm there. You can, we can, I'm always around, but also, yeah. Bitcoin magazine art gallery is in Nashville. B mag come say hello. They're right there. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, Bitcoin magazines, art gallery is in wonderful hands with, with Dennis and Tommy and the, and the crew, I think they're very thoughtful about how they're moving forward with things. So definitely excited about the future for you guys. And then as far as getting in touch with me, Pepinardo Studio on Twitter is probably the best place. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you both for this great, great discussion this evening. And yeah, let's be more frog. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, Rubble. Rubble. 
Rebel, thanks again. And look, hey, let's do it again. I know we skimmed across the surface here and uh, some things fell down into the water and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up again and do it. I love this. Yes, it's great. If we can get as many frog references, <laughs> that'd be really good. Thank you both. And yes, let's speak again. Uh... My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head-on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine.